welcome to the Built on Air podcast, the variety show for all things Airtable. Each episode, we cover four different segments. It's always fresh and different and lots of fun while you get the insider info on all things Airtable. Our hosts and guests are some of the most senior experts in the Airtable community. Join us live each week on our YouTube channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And join our active community at builtonair.com join. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor, OntoAir.com. Any business running on Airtable gets the value that Airtable has, but also needs a few more functions to complete their operations. That's where OntoAir comes in. It's a suite of tools for any business running on Airtable to maximize your operations efficiencies and automations. One customer, John, states that OntoAir enables his business to function properly without having to think about building their own software. And that is pretty invaluable. The OntoAir Airtable apps are amazing and we use them often and are very happy with the results. So join John and hundreds more customers and take your Airtable to the next level with OntoAir. Sign up today with promo code BUILTONAIR for a 10% discount. Check them out at OntoAir.com. And now let's check out today's episode and see what we built on air. Welcome back to the Built on Air podcast. This is our final episode of season 12, episode 12, also our final season of the year. This year flew by fast. We did uh, four seasons of 12 episodes each, so 48 episodes for the year. Quite the accomplishment. We're always excited to be with you. We've got myself, Dan Fellers, Camille Parks, and Ali Alosa with us. And we have special guest, Sam Ruiz. Welcome, Sam. Hi, thank you. Happy to be here. Good to have you on. We will learn more about Sam later on in the show. So stick around. We've got a great show for you. I'll go through what we're going to be talking about today. As always, we'll start off with our Around the Bases, talking about what's going on, keep you up to date in all things Airtable. Then a quick spotlight on Ontoair, our primary sponsor. And then we will learn more about Sam and her story and how she came into the world of Airtable. And then Sam's going to walk us through the base that she has for her business called um, Ario. And then we will talk a little bit about our community at Built on Air and how you can join. And then finally, we'll wrap up with Camille talking about uh, interface that she has built. So with that, around the bases with what's going on, uh, there's one big thing that we will talk about. I'll keep that for our last one. Um, but other than that, that big change from Airtable, um, just a couple things. It wasn't too active on, on any of the communities, lots of you know questions, but a couple things that I found from our built-on-air community that I thought were, were showing, a couple tidbits and tricks. We have a channel called Airtable Tricks, and people will post um, cool things they find of how to do things in Airtable. So Ben Bailey, who uh, has been on the show, um, gives us the fact of the day. You cannot group records with long text fields if rich text formatting is enabled. So if you ever wanted to uh, group, you can't use rich text formatting to group your fields. And that's probably because of the syntax underneath the hood of Markdown um, makes it tricky because there's, there's uh, characters that you don't actually see that are actually there behind the scenes. So it'd probably mess up grouping. Is likely the reasoning for that. Probably, yeah. 
Yeah. So anyways, tidbit trick of the day. Uh, we've got another one from Russell Bishop, also um, guest of the show. Said, I started reusing my open URL interface button in automations as I realized that it just pastes the URL in there for you. Having just migrated my interfaces to new URLs, this has kept my links updated everywhere, which I'm pleased about. So I don't think I've ever tried that trick. I, I'm not sure I quite understand what's happening here. So I think he's, so inside of a button, if you're using the open URL, you specify the URL and it's a formula. Right. Um, and so if you need to access that URL, you could basically just insert the button as the URL. And oh, I give you the URL. I get it. So anywhere he'd set up an automation to insert that button, it still works because all he had to do was change the value, change the field configuration for the button itself and everyone else is updated. Yeah. So the alternative would be to like create a formula field that creates the, 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 the URL and then use that in your button. This kind of saves you from having to create the formula um, field. So um, you can still access that URL in other places. I wonder, I've never tried, have you ever tried a formula that references a button? Does it display the URL? Yeah. It does. It does. It does. It's um, actually a little trick I used for, this is kind of a, a little bit in the weeds, but um, you know, when you sync, when you sync a view or a table, there's an option to either delete the records as they're hidden or deleted in the source space or keep the records in that synced table, even if you delete them or filter them away. Yep. Um, the annoying thing that I've found with that is that if you do at some point want to remove records, the really only way to do that is to go into this little thing and they have a list and you can check off the records you want to remove, which is really not easy, especially if you don't have unique names and you don't know which one is which, which has happened, I'm sure. But um, if you create a button that says open source record, you know how that option is in the sync table, that will be grayed out if that record is no longer in the sync table. So then you can yep. use a formula to say, if this button does not have a value in it, then I know that this record has been removed. Um, little trick, then I can filter those out if I need to. Yeah, I think you can do that with, um, oh, you know what I've done for that trick is in the source field, if you create a formula that exposes the record ID, mm -hmm. it'll be blank in the destination. Good so that we've done, we've done that workaround. <clears throat> but yeah, okay, yeah, that button is another way you could do it. But does it display the URL of the button or the record ID? I guess the full URL to the... It does, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. So a couple of tricks of dealing with buttons and URLs. I wonder what it displays in this scenario, not in yours, but in this scenario, if you're using like open an extension or something, I wonder if it's like the URL to the extension. I've tried that. I can't remember what happened. I wanted to see if I could sync over like open in page designer to and a separate base. And I think it came through as a URL, but I, there was something that prevented it from like being smooth and working well. 
I mean, well, it didn't actually open up the page designer in the other. I think it just brought you to the other base, but it didn't actually have yeah, that. It, it would it would be looking for the um, each, each extension installation has its own unique ID, much like a record or table or view. So it'd be looking for the wrong one that doesn't exist in your synced over base. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Some cool tricks there. Um, this one comes, this one just came in actually this morning from Peter Nelson. Um, man, I don't know about you, but I'm seeing this chart GPT everywhere. Everybody's or chat GPT, sorry. Um, popping up everywhere. If you read any technology newsletters, um, this thing's kind of taken over. It's kind of cool, but kind of scary as well, but artificial <laughs> intelligence and man, it's, I've seen some examples that are kind of mind blowing. <clears throat> um, but anyways, Peter's like, how can we use this with Airtable? So he wanted to, so it looks like he did some examples asking this AI, you basically type it and you can actually have like long conversations with this chat AI system. Um, and apparently it understands Airtable formulas. Um, and so you can ask it to, um, to generate an Airtable formula for you. Um, and it understands regex. Um, so pretty, pretty amazing. This is a, so I don't know if he typed this in or if that's the response, <laughs> if he's like helping to train it, maybe he's helping to train it. Maybe because um, that, you know, regex is a common thing. It's used like all over the place. It's yeah. not just Airtable that implements regex, but regex underscore replace is a specific Airtable function. And that's not necessarily the syntax that many or all regex implementations would be expecting input string, what you're trying, what's your regex formula, and then what are you trying to extract? Some things are not exactly the same. Uh, across different implementations. And so that's really impressive if it just knows Airtable's formula structure and was able to interpret. Yeah. The fact that, yeah, it's already ingested the Airtable syntax. Because, yeah, it's it's crazy. So this, I don't think this is the last of that we've heard of this. This is kind of um, crazy. They're actually, I saw on Reddit, I should probably post to it, but somebody posted, I had seen he had built basically a, a, a natural language processor for Excel where you can type in kind of human syntax and then it will generate the um, formula for that. And he just launched an Airtable equivalent. It's still under like Excel formula. Um, should probably I'll put a link to it, but it, it's in the Reddit um, recent uh, threads. Um, but anyways, this is kind of coming where you can just say similar to this and it will generate the, the syntax for you. That sounds really helpful. Back when I had more time, if I was answering something on the community forums, if someone was like, how do I make this formula? And they would explain what they would want it to do. I would re-explain it in human language, but in the order that Airtable is expecting the formula, and then I would write the formula to sort of bridge the gap between how we speak, generally speaking, I want to multiply X by whatever, and then just putting it in the way a formula is expecting. And I think tools like that are going to be helpful for um, 
not just writing the formula for you, but teaching people how to think in a very particular formula writing language. Yeah. Yeah. So cool stuff coming. It will likely this this is kind of the new frontier of technology, this AI stuff that is kind of frightening <clears throat> as well. <laughs> All right. This is the big release. So I believe I believe on last week's show the community was down. Yeah, the community at least was on pause and they launched it shortly after the show ended. Um, and this is the new release of the Airtable community. Um, I will say mixed reaction. Well, actually, I don't know. Have I found anybody that's positive about it? <laughs> I don't think I've found anyone <laughs> positive about it yet. I don't know. Who wants to open up their feedback? Well, let me first start by saying the community was down for like three days and I was so bored. <laughs> it's been my homepage for like three years now. And I was like, well, what do I do in the morning? What do I do? <laughs> what do I do with all my time? Um, and then it was released and it's even more different than I think I was expecting it to be from the previous iteration of the forums. Previous iteration felt explicitly like ask a question receive one or more answers uh to a question and then this platform seems like that is part of what it does but it's also seems to try and gear more towards like building a community so there's a section on events and like make sure you sign up for this thing that's not really a question that a user is asking other people to help answer and you know there's a section for like groups to be like, oh, if you want to just talk about your experience doing whatever. So there's a lot of things that were added, I think, at a top level. In addition to you also go to this place to uh, ask and answer questions. But I think in moving into that transition, in order to accommodate some of those other things that this site is now doing, it seems a little less suited for asking a question and receiving a series of answers. I think that the text editor or the comment editor i don't know how to describe it is is less intuitive i think overall and this is very very petty i don't think anyone else has the same complaint i think the font size is too big <laughs> yeah yeah definitely i mean jen jen comments about the uh, upcoming events which is nice although i feel like this should be the opposite order right so december 7th is down here. I was like, oh, the next event is until January 26th, but there's actually two before it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a weird sorting. <clears throat> so it, can you scroll up to the top just to go over all of the things that are now in here, except your cookies? <laughs> <laughs> it failed. I can't accept them. What? Let me try again. Must there have timed go. out. <laughs> so announcements is kind of up uh, front and center. I think that's fine. Groups is what I was talking about, where if you want to talk and co-mingle with people in a particular setting, research opportunities, I think was the one that was more exciting because that was framed as Airtable is going to be reaching out to people for advice or looking at how they're 
using Airtable to get an idea of certain use cases, or at least that was my understanding. I think that's nice that that's more publicized a thing. Um, and then under product ideas, last time I looked at it, it didn't actually work yet, but um, product ideas to the all the way to the right. It used to be called product suggestions and people would just say, I want this in the product and it would get a whole bunch of likes and then there was no response ever at all um, about whether or not it was being added to the roadmap. And now there's a structure at least in place for marking a product idea as either it's in the pipeline or it's already in Airtable or something else. So we're in product operations, product ideas, the uh, all the way to the right. There we go. Yeah. And then if you scroll down, idea statuses. Last time I checked, they weren't sorted into uh, all of the statuses yet, but I like that that infrastructure is in place. It's one of my biggest complaints for the longest time is there's no roadmap. And now there's, mm -hmm. you know, a clear demarcation of, Airtable will just say, eventually, we're not going to do that. And I think that's valuable. <laughs> I would rather know if I suggest something and they're not going to do it. I want them to say they're not going to do it. So I don't have to keep complaining about it. Um, and then conversely, nothing say, is in development yet. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't think they've all been sorted yet. Um, yeah. I think everything is still under new ideas. So something that hasn't been reviewed internally by Airtable. So those are generally the moves that I like with this new sort of platform. But again, going into like the ask and answer portion of if you have a question regarding Airtable, the thing that annoyed me the most yesterday was uh, someone had a, a formula question. And what I used to do was use a code block to, you know, format all of my formula suggestions really nicely and to prevent curly quotes from messing up the formula and like the default for this new code block when you're replying to a message is html and then i kept getting an error message saying that's not a valid html format that you just inserted and i'm like i know i'm not actually trying to write html i'm just writing a formula so i had to use a quote block but it was it was way less smooth <laughs> than it used to be is, yeah. is the is the thing and also again i just think the font size is just so massive it's pretty big <laughs> i would have to agree those are my yeah. yeah it'll be interesting to see how this plays out my biggest fear is if you look at um if you look at this list of of you know, the top people sacrificing their time to, to answer people's questions, um, you know, and, and, and Bill's not even on here, but if you scroll down, Bill has already, you know, said he's leaving. I know Scott is, is definitely less active on the communities. Um, you know, Kavan and Justin, I've heard from not, you know, too pleased about it, but, um, yeah, so the biggest fear is that if you're not making it easy for people to ask questions, you're just going to get all of these questions with zero responses, and then it just becomes a wasteland. <clears throat> and so they really need to make sure that they're not 
losing their biggest assets, which is these people, or Camille, yourself included, on this list of top solution authors. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I want to be on. I want to be on the forums and answering questions. I think in a perfect world, you know, you keep a lot of the new stuff how it is. I think the stuff that wasn't tackled previously in the in the other platform is like fine the way it is. If this section here, the the ask a question portion were much closer to the original, I think it was Discus or something was the platform that was used prior to that. If that was more like that, I wouldn't have any issues. I would just press, you know, control minus to make it appear smaller on my screen and then I'd be fine. <laughs> but the the process of reviewing bulk questions, even like this, before it would just give you the title of, you know, posts, you know, you'd be able to see like eight post titles in a row. Yeah. And then that's all I need. But seeing a little bit of the post for each one in this list, I now have to sc scroll a lot more to sort of get to a mm -hmm. question I want to answer. Um, and it's just not, it's just, from my perspective as someone who's constantly answering questions, it's more difficult. I don't know what the experience change is like for someone who only asks a question occasionally. To them, it might not matter at all. Right. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, posting a question, I think that's manageable. It's really ease of use of replying. And that's where some of the comment is, is this is more of a kind of more of a blog creation platform, more kind of content, writing articles, getting responses to to those as opposed to being more of a Q&A type platform. <clears throat> yeah, it. I think part of the issue is before the platform was, it was kind of a community, but it was mostly <sighs> like tech support. Not necessarily yeah. getting tech support from people who work at Airtable. That would happen occasionally. But most of the time, the answers would come from people who just didn't work at Airtable. But it was treated as the tech support site. And this site feels more like it's trying to build a community. But the part that people need, you know, in order to continue using the product with confidence for the product being Airtable, not these forms, is the tech support part. So I haven't really tested how easy it is to search for a topic or an answer. I know a lot of things are tagged still, um, but that would be the next concern. If, it, if it's harder to search for things, that would be an issue. Yeah. Yeah, we shall see. Hopefully, hopefully, I know they're still working on um, tweaks and changes, and there's a lot of configuration stuff that they can do behind the scenes to improve the experience. So hopefully with time, there, there's improvements to be made. Um, but if the end result is that nobody really is incentivized to respond to people, I think it will be a, a, a disaster to, to lose these, these good people who are responding a lot and helping the community grow. Couldn't agree more. It was honestly, I credit the 
original community forum with like my foray into this industry. Like if it wasn't for that community forum, I wouldn't be sitting right here on this podcast right now. So right. it's I, I'm hopeful that we don't lose that community aspect. And I'm also grateful for things like Built On Air because that's we right. awesome Slack that's community. Right. That's <laughs> right. We're in Slack. If you have questions, you can join our community and there's people still responding and answering in there. <laughs> I don't know, Sam, any, any, have you spent much time on the new forums? Not really at all. Um, but I can say that I also Googled my way through Airtable not too long ago and got a lot of answers from, you know, looking at people's previous responses in the community forum and on the Slack channel. Um, and I think I'm looking at it from a very different perspective versus responding. But like if I were to post a question and I'm not getting, people aren't replying to it and helping me, then that's not the direction I'm going to go to ask questions. I'm going to find a different solution. Um, and so it sounds like that's something that they need to be aware of and be really cognizant of, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and a community is great. Everybody wants a community right now. I feel like that's like a big conversation across every single business is how can we build community, but you can't do it by, you know, ignoring the initial people who started your yeah. less formal community. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the huge, I mean, I noticed right away, like I've, I've researched a ton of enterprise. I used to work as an investor where I evaluated lots of software companies and, and would dig into their communities. And there was just something unique about Airtable's community and, and people helping each other. And, and, um, so that was, that was part of the power of Airtable that it, they better not lose. <clears throat> Yeah, that like network effect, I feel like is what grew them as fast as it they grew, you know, is because people were like, oh my God, I absolutely love this. Like, it's so easy to learn. There's always people who want to help you. And if they lose that, then it just kind of becomes another platform. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Well, we'll see. We will keep track on um, on how this progresses and, and improvements and see see where they get. Maybe they'll just say, okay, this was a good experiment. Let's go back to the old one. Or I wonder if they could somehow find a hybrid of like using, you know, this for like the community aspect, but the Q&A is, is still kind of the old school approach. I don't know. I would be happy with a, a, with a happy <laughs> medium because I do think it, I think it's a good idea to have a lot of what they've added added. Yeah. You know, it, this may not be the most perfect platform in the world for those things but i i like a lot of the new stuff that is present i mm -hmm. dislike the core of what it used to be is less uh not efficient conducive i guess it's it's less conducive to actually like answering other people's questions yeah right right very good. We shall see what the future holds. So that kind of rounds up our uh, round the bases, keep you up to date with what's going on in the Airtable communities. Up next is a spotlight on OnToAir. OnToAir is a um, toolkit to run your business on Airtable. It's a suite of apps that 
allow you to extend and augment your business on Airtable. If you are running your business in Airtable, you definitely need to check out Ontair and the suite of apps that we have. Um, I just want to give a spotlight on um, our new forms product that is still in private beta. We're looking at um, launching it publicly in January and um, some of the cool things that, that you can do in here. Um, we just, upon request, um, you know, where we position ourselves as being deep into Airtable, we are specific to Airtable. It's the only platform um, that we support. And so we go deep into how Airtable works. One of the ways that um, that would showcase is understanding, you know, the fields within Airtable. So our forms have the ability to either create or update an existing record. So you only have to create one form that would allow you to create a new record or edit an existing. And some, one of the ways that that um, understanding Airtable is beneficial is knowing that formula fields, roll-up fields, anything that's um, a, a uh, um, what do they call it? A calculator calculated thank you camille a calculated field meaning it's not editable does not really apply when you're creating a new record because the record has to be created to calculate those fields and so because of that we just added a feature to hide computed fields when you're using this form to create a record so that helps clean up the form before it showed those fields and there is just no value in them so now you can actually hide all your computed fields um, on the create version of the form, but then they would show up on the edit version. So that's just one little um, tidbit of how we're going deep into understanding Airtable. Um, there's a lot of stuff in there. So check it out on tear.com slash forms and um, let us know you want to join the, the private beta. We'll get you access to it and love to get your feedback. Um, we're starting to see this out in the wild, people using it in production now and getting great feedback. So excited to do Jen, who's a user and customer and gives her shout out here. Um, there it is. All right. Jen loves the forms, <clears throat> uses it with an insurance client and, um, working out well for her as well as many others. So check it out at ontoair.com. With that, Jen, or Sam Ruiz is with us. And Sam, why don't you, if I'll just kind of turn it over to you, give us a history of you, what you kind of do, what your background is, um, and then really like tell us your story of finding Airtable, how you use it, how it's impacted your business, all that stuff. Great. Yeah. So I am a marketer at heart. That is where I started my career, um, began working on the agency side of things and eventually down a couple paths, um, launched my own agency, which I did for about two years and um, did this during the pandemic. I really decided I didn't want to work for other people anymore. I really wanted to do work that aligned with my personal values. And so I launched an agency that was really focused on working with value-aligned clients. And it grew really fast. I was very fortunate that I had great people supporting me, great clients. Um, but as we grew, I began finding myself less um, enchanted with the work I was doing. 
and really just excited to have conversations with clients, have conversations with team members and connect them. And I found that I really loved talking to clients and being like, oh, well, I am a sustainable food company and I really value, you know, making sure that we're not wasting water in our production or whatever it might be. And then talking with a freelancer and maybe they're a copywriter and they're like, oh, well, you know, my passion is like water conservation. And then like introducing those two people and seeing them create something really amazing together. And in addition to that, I found that brands were constantly saying how hard it was to find good talent and freelancers or marketers saying that it was really hard for them to find opportunities that they were really excited about. And so I kind of just was like, I feel like this is a problem we can fix. Like you guys are both asking for the same thing. Like, let's just connect you guys. Um, and so I closed down my agency and um, earlier this year with my co-founder launched Arreo. And Arreo is basically just a platform that connects um, brands or clients of any sort uh, with freelance talent um, focused on value alignment, skills, and experience. So it's kind of, people like to say like, oh, so are you like Upwork? And it's like kind of, but we vet all of our talent before we accept them. Um, we have a pretty thorough vetting process, but we also really focus, like I said earlier, on that value alignment and making sure that people are buying into the why of the client. Um, and the idea is that if you are passionate and you share that purpose with the people that you're working with, then you're going to be way more excited to do the work and you're going to do way better work. And hopefully we're creating more long-term relationships and everything like that. So that's how I got to where I am now. Um, like I was saying, marketer at heart. Um, I've always been a more data-driven marketer, but I am not by trade a technical person. So this is a whole new foray for me. And when I was saying that I Googled my way through Airtable, I truly, truly did. <laughs> Very cool. Awesome. And so now you've got, uh, so your new business up and running just yeah. a few months and how's it going? It's yeah, it's been a whirlwind of a few months. Um, we launched late summer and it has honestly been as good as I probably could have expected it to be. We have close to 200 vetted freelancers in our network. Um, and they range anything from, you know, front-end or dev, UX, UI, um, everything in the marketing world. So anything from like paid media to social media to growth marketing to, you know, Google Analytics to tag management and attribution, like everything there. Um, and then a couple in the creative space where it's like more like content creation or photography, videography. We have a lot of copywriters. Anyone ever needs a copywriter? <laughs> I have a lot of really wonderful copywriters in our network. Um, and so it's been amazing to see that grow. It's been really exciting to talk with um, freelancers. And um, since we are vetting everyone and we are interviewing um, most of these candidates or most of these people who are applying, um, we're really getting to know what they're looking for and what they want and what they, how we can best support them. Um, and then the same on the brand side, we're talking to brands and we're figuring out what are your pain points? Where are you struggling to find talent? Um, how can we make this process easier for you? And when we built this, 
platform um, the first time, and I say that because I'm in the midst of building it the second time, <laughs> um, my goal was to build it as fast as possible and still have it work um, because I knew we were going to get a ton of feedback and it was going to be something that if I spent six months building something, I would still tear it down two months later. So why not build six weeks on it or build in six weeks and see what happens. Um, and that's basically what we did. I like, you can't see my office right now, but the wall next to me is like a completely, it's like a mirrored wall. <laughs> um, I live in like a 1960s building. Um, <laughs> it's like a mirrored wall and it was like covered in sticky notes on the different things that I was working on. And I turned it into like a full Kanban board and I was just like sitting in this office Googling my way through how to do everything um, and trying to branch my, what I once thought was good Excel knowledge and now realize was quite limited Excel knowledge <laughs> into an Airtable. Um, and yeah, it's, I'm really glad that we went that approach because we've learned so much about our users and we've learned so much about what they want and we've learned so much about our process and how we can make it better that it's now fun to rebuild it again. And also I've learned a lot <laughs> since I started this. Um, and so it's really interesting too, to take that knowledge and put it into use. Had you, had you known about Airtable prior to this company? Were you using it before that? Yes, but in a very different and limited capacity in which it was basically a shared Excel spreadsheet. Um, and we were using it for um, at my agency for content management and like content calendars. So it was just a really easy way to share data and let multiple people use it and also limit what people could edit and access. Um, and one of our team members actually had used it at a previous agency and they said, let's use this. And I was like, fine, you've got it figured out, go for it. Um, <laughs> never would I have thought that I would have that nugget would have been implanted deep enough in my brain that I built my entire next company on their table. <laughs> Very cool. So maybe talk about like, how has Airtable, like what kind of impact has it had on your business? Uh, huge. And I think about this a lot actually, because if this was, I don't know, five, seven years ago, I would have never been able to build this company. I would have needed a large amount of investment. I would have needed a ton of devs. Well, I would have at least needed like a high quality dev <laughs> who could go into like SQL and build out a full database and then build out a front end and like do everything. I would have never ever been able to do this with my co-founder. We're both marketers, um, you know, seven years ago, it just wouldn't have been feasible. And what I love about Airtable and no code apps and the direction that technology is moving is that it's becoming so much more accessible for people to build something with limited knowledge of how to do it. Um, I think that it's going to release a lot of really amazing ideas and it's going to make it a lot, just a lot more accessible for people to try something and see what happens. Like, Dan, you were mentioning the app that your son built for his science career project. Like, I would have, ne I would have never been able to do that in high school. You know, I would have never been able to do that. You know, seven years ago, it just wouldn't have been possible. And um, I love that 
I love the accessibility of it. Yeah, very cool. Any other questions, Camille Lally? It just reminded me um, the the concept of building something and then knowing that you have to build it again once you have a foothold on what what the <laughs> basics are and then how it can be improved. It just reminded me of grad school. Uh, I went to school for urban planning, and you know when you're doing site planning, mm -hmm. looking at a, a parcel and saying, "I want to put this building here and this building here." One of my professors refused to let us draw anything in pencil. She was like, do everything in pen because whatever you draw first is not going to be what you end up with. So don't sit there and be painstaking about, you know, well, I, I got to get it perfect. You're not going to get it perfect. Get totally. an idea down and figure out what's wrong with that idea and then do draft number two. And when you're five drafts in, then you could start using pencil. And that, <laughs> that is a similar sort of idea when it comes to building systems with Airtable or more traditionally with code. You just, you have to start wireframing and, and putting your idea down. Because if you get too focused on one little piece, you're gonna have a really great something and then all the other connected bits are not even gonna be started. Yeah, and that really great something might be great for you, but not for the user or yeah. the end customer, whoever that is, and it's like- exactly. Done is better than perfect. I have a sticky note that says that on my um, desktop. But I have to constantly remind myself of that right now that, like, we are V1. You know, hopefully a year from now, we're going to be on V12 and it's going to be a completely different situation. And um, so much is going to change and evolve. And I'm humble enough to say that I do not know exactly the best way to do what I'm doing. But the only way I'm going to find that best way is if I pull something together and put it out there and see what happens. Yeah. Very cool. All right. If you want to share your screen, we'll get it. Yeah. On. And let's move back here. So Sam's going to walk us through the actual or a copy of the base that, that you use in running your business. Yes. Um, so I have oh, window. all right, can you guys see it? Yep. Perfect. All right. So I have, um, a fake base here because I don't want to <laughs> share some people's email addresses. Um, but basically how this works is as things move through our system, they kind of push down different um, tables. So we have a single base, everything's run off our one base. And then um, as you proceed in the process, you kind of go down different tables. And the reason is because we are using software as our UI. Um, and uh, A, that seemed like the best way to do it. And B, it was the only way I could figure out how to do it when I built it the first time. This may change as I do this again, um, but again, it's kind of one of those things that's interesting to think about when you are building it for the first time, you're like, here's a solution, like, let's do it. Um, even if we looked too deeply at some of these columns, which we're not gonna do, uh, there are a lot of columns that are no longer in use because I was trying to figure out how to build something. Um, but for a freelancer, when a freelancer applies to join our network, um, they show up in this applicant column. Um, 
On the same side of that, we have a column here in our, I'm not gonna actually show this, this is our real data, um, in our software board where we can kind of like view everything in this one UI. But um, all of their data comes in here. Uh, it has all of their information and we can easily accept or deny them um, or waitlist them or request an interview or whatever we need to do. When we accept them, it automatically, I have a ton of automations and they basically get pushed into this um, user's table and it's just copied over into our user's table. So this is the real table that all of our user data is stored. We have all of our brands, our freelancers, um, the admin, which is our company. Um, and we're actually in the midst of building an agency one as well, because we've had a lot of agencies talk to us about wanting to not only find work opportunities, but also um, hire people for projects that they have um, going on. So we have users um, here, and I would say that users are like the ultimate parent group. Um, everything kind of falls under a user as one would expect. Um, the brands can submit RFPs, and those all come in here. Um, so they are um, just a simple project request form that we have on our site, um, and they fill it out. That data comes in here. Like I said, it's associated with a certain user. And then we have an automation um, set up here somewhere. Um, sorry, like I said, we have a lot of uh, columns. Yeah. Here, that um, automatically matches those freelancers the best, um, or the freelancers that have the values, the skills, and the experience for those opportunities. Um, we then take our human kind of ability to double check that. And in the invite column is where we actually have the freelancers that are invited to pitch for those different projects. From there, we have an automation set up that um, once we put people in the invite column the and update the status to um, accepting proposals, then we have automations basically throughout this entire process that notifies those freelancers, invites them to pitch, um, notifies the brands, let them know let them know that the status is updated. If a freelancer is interested in the project, then they can go ahead and submit a proposal. And the proposals are kind of like the secondary child to the RFP submissions. Um, in this situation, they can also decline. Um, as you can see, there's a couple um, declined opportunities here. Sometimes people don't have the right timing or something just doesn't work out. Um, and uh, for brands can see all the different projects, they can award, shortlist, um, et cetera, once they receive the proposals and then eventually end up moving them down um, when the project becomes an open project into that open project column, which is basically just like a shortened version of um, uh, the, the proposal submissions. A lot of information there. <laughs> We also do all of our invoicing. Um, so as you can see, here's a bunch of random invoices here. Um, our contract data is also in Airtable. Um, and people can also schedule discovery calls, which was a really fun thing for me to try to figure out how to deal with um, time zones. Um, but uh, discovery calls can be scheduled through this as well. Um, 
And another thing that I had to figure out was like, how do you um, offer discovery call times, but then immediately remove the times that someone takes and just, there were so many nuances that I hadn't realized I would have to solve <laughs> when I thought of the idea versus when I was actually kind of building it out. Um, and it's, it's fun. Every time we see someone go further in the process or like do a certain action or do an action in a way that we didn't expect someone to do. Um, like the other day, somebody didn't shortlist anyone, but submitted their discovery call times. And we were like, this seems weird, but obviously there's like something in the user flow that made you think that you didn't have to do that first step to do the second step. And, um, there's interesting complications. Yeah. Cool. How has your experience with the automations been? <clears throat> it's been a learning curve. Um, I don't know if they're all in this copied version. Yeah, they are. Okay. So we have a ton, or no, they're not all in here. Okay. Um, we have a ton that like sends Slack messages, for example, to our team when people hit certain points or do certain things so we can stay in the loop of their process. Um, those ones were like, obviously the most straightforward and easy to do. Um, we use JotForm for some of our form data. Um, so kind of what you were saying before, when you're like, um, having someone submit records, but they are submitting instead of editing records, that has been a fun, like challenge to overcome. So maybe I'll be emailing you later about getting on your forms. Um, but we have like uh, basically data being duplicated and merged through our job form um, or from job form through our automations. And then we have, um, like I was saying earlier, the call times. That was a fun thing to figure out of how to get people to put in times and get their correct time zone and then display it in a way that the freelancers can then view and select a time and then remove that time. So there's a lot of automations around that. Um, and then all of our emails are being triggered through SendGrid and Zapier right now. Gotcha. Solid. Have you explored interfaces yet? Are you using interfaces? <laughs> a little bit, um, but mostly for internal like analyses. Um, I don't know this is going to pull the right data. But um, okay, so this is obviously not pulling our accurate data, but we have one that kind of shows how many freelancers we have in our network, if their strategy or activation, um, and what their skill set is um, based on five years of experience or more. So this is really helpful for us as we are like constantly trying to balance the different skills that we have. Um, and if I need to quickly uh, talk to a brand and if they're like, do you have X or Y? I can use this to say like, okay, yes, we have a ton here or um, we don't have anybody. Well, this is showing that we have no one in anything right now, but um, for example, maybe we didn't have any researchers or something like that to be able to say um, easily without having to go through like our 200 person list and all of their skills. Nice. Very yeah. Cool. The one thing I want to explore in interfaces next is the a question we're constantly getting is around rates um, from both the brand side and the talent side. Um, what's an average rate for this? How much should I expect to pay for this? 
and how much did I expect to charge for this? Um, and so I think the next thing that we're going to do is start using some of the formulas um, to figure out what average rates are for these different uh, skills. Gotcha. Awesome. So where, tell people where they can find you. Do you take uh, Airtable freelancers? <laughs> um, we have a couple who have applied to the network. We aren't getting a ton of Airtable um, like database or backend sort of work right now. We're more focused on front end and marketing and stuff. Um, but you can find us at meareo.com. So I can just go to our website quickly. Um, and here you can easily, you know, fill out our RFP to um, hire, or you can apply to join the network. Um, and it's pretty straightforward from here. Nice. Yeah. And this site's all on softer as well. <clears throat> no, this is actually on Show It. Um, although we may shift it to softer too, because I don't think that we're doing anything on Show It that we couldn't do on softer with us. Gotcha. Hmm. Awesome. Thank you, Sam, for showing yeah. that. And um, I love seeing real world examples of businesses running on Airtable. It's so yeah. cool. Thank you. It's uh, fun to kind of reflect on it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I totally agree with you that it's opened up, you know, five, seven years ago, what you couldn't do is now possible in Airtable. So totally. you are living proof of that. So very cool. <laughs> All right, real quick shout out to our Built on Air community. If you are looking for help and not getting any answers on the Airtable community, feel free to join us, builtonair.com slash join. We have an active uh, Slack community of thousands of Airtable users and fans and experts that can help you out and always love others that can also help others out as well. So join us at builtonair.com slash join. With that, Camille is going to showcase one of her interfaces she uses. There you go, Camille. Okay, so one of the several, several jobs that I have is sometimes I teach at USC, and I decided to create a base and an interface that kind of helps me manage my, um, manage my workflow for or looking at assignments, grading assignments, and um, applying a, a rubric of grading. So it's a pretty simple base setup. There's only a handful of tables so far. Courses, um, those are if you look at your academic uh, catalog, all of the courses that can be taught at a, a university. Terms are, you know, fall 2019, spring 2020. Um, sections are a course applied to a term. Assignments are uh, applied to a section. So for spring 2023, I'm going to have three assignments that are going to be assigned to uh, my students. Some of them are individual assignments and some are group assignments. They have date assigned and due date, etc. A roster is um, students applied to a section. So in spring 2023, I'm going to have five students. And um, at the end of the day, once all of their assignments are in, they're going to receive a grade for that course. And then submissions are 
um, students or a roster applied to an assignment. So um, that's just sort of breaking down all of the different pieces of a puzzle and then just going into my um, assignments interface really what I wanted to do was to lay things out in a way that would make it quick or at least quicker to create new assignments that are, you know, applied to a particular section. <clears throat> so for assignment one, this is the name of the assignment. This is the general thing that they have to do. I can say whether or not it's an individual or a group assignment and give it some dates. Um, USC uses Blackboard as its uh, content management system for courses. And if I wanted to give a direct link to where this assignment lives in USC system, I would put it in here. But the real reason why I wanted to show this off is because this was a headache to build the second part, which is the rubric and grading. So the assignment record itself, I have a series of fields that allow me to apply a rubric uh, to a course assignment. Um, if I flip back to uh, assignment really quickly, a lot of those fields are hidden, but you can kind of see where I'm going. For assignment two, um, in order to receive an A on an assignment, you have to hit a series of different criteria. So for assignment two, one of the tasks that you have to do is document initial impressions of a development project. Uh, a second thing you have to do for that assignment is to record some project data and then evaluate the project based on using some design guidelines. And then each of these tasks that are assigned to the, pro uh, to the assignment have a different weighting. So part one is worth 20 points, part two is worth 20 points, but part three is worth um, 30 points. Um, now, how does one get an A on an assignment? I wanted to be fairly consistent and fair about that. And the last time I taught this course, um, we used a rubric system that said, you know, for documenting initial impressions, if you listed 10 initial um, impressions, then you get the score excellent for that particular criteria. And then for the second thing that you had to do, you know, this one's a freebie. If you just did it, you, you got points. And then the third one, again, it's listing what do you have to do to get like a perfect score on this particular task. And here's what you get if you got like 70% of what is asked of you and, you know, 60% or something uh, if you did what was asked of you. And then if you didn't do what was asked of you, you get nothing. So again, this is rated um, 30 points. If you were excellent, then you get 30 points. Um, if you were good, you'd get, I think it was 70% of 30 points, et cetera. And the way I set up my interface for all of the submissions, so this was a group assignment. There are two groups. Group two submitted their assignment. I could go through and review what they submitted and say, well, for the first criteria, they did excellent. They get 100% of uh, the points that they should be getting. Um, and then for the second criteria, yeah, they were, they were good. 
Um, the third one, incomplete, they didn't do it. Um, I set up my single select options to have a value in it, uh, 100%, 85%, 0%, et cetera. And that helps my formula field extract out that number multiplied by the criteria weight in order to give me the points awarded, which is effectively their score. So for each criteria, there's the description, the weight, excellent, good, satisfactory, and needs improvement descriptions. All of those live on the assignment record. Those are the rubric for the assignment, but the score record lives on the submission. This is group two got the score excellent. And then I could flip over to group one and start grading their assignment. So all of this stuff is the exact same because I'm looking at the same assignment, but I could say, well, group one didn't do excellent, they did good. And you can see the points awarded is being um, affected as I go on. And then I could flip to another assignment and it's a completely different rubric. There's no rubric actually, I didn't fill it in yet, but that was sort of the idea behind this interface. And it does a lot of other things like I've set it up where if an assignment is an individual assignment, I could click this button and it will create a submission record for every student assigned to this section. But if it's a group assignment, it will look at all of the groups and then create one submission per group. Um, and I'll stop there because we're at nine o'clock. <laughs> That's awesome. But you're the, your, your students don't have access to this, right? This no, they don't see this. In, uh, in Blackboard, there is a rubric, um, which is annoying to set up. It's actually very annoying to grade in Blackboard the way the system was set up, or at least it was last spring. And so all of this same information, they would be able to see. They would be able to see in Blackboard, I gave them the score excellent on criteria one. They just wouldn't see this Airtable version. The next time I were to teach a course, I would wanna do all of my grading here first, just cause it's faster. And then I would copy that information over into Blackboard once I'm done. So there's still a, a level of transparency, but it allows me to sort of, if I need to tweak what constitutes good, I could do it here first before doing it in Blackboard when I've already started grading for group one or group two. Yeah. So awesome. I bet there's a market for this. I bet there's people, teachers out there saying, I want this. This is the first base in a while that I've built where I'm like, somebody, this should be on the, the universe. So I think whenever I'm done building out all of the use cases, I think I would want for it. I would, um, probably end up putting this on the universe, which hopefully I think includes the interface along with it. Yeah. Because this is annoying. <laughs> if, if you have a lot of fields to add to a single page, it is really annoying to add them and then move them how you want. So yeah. I, I have this template set up to handle up to five criteria per assignment. And each criteria has four different levels it can be and a description and a weight and then a score from a different table. It's just a lot of fields to manage. But once it's in there, it's easy. Nice. So awesome. 
Yeah, this you got to hold on to this for the next uh, interface competition. <clears throat> yeah, all of my good ideas I came up with after the competition was over. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Camille, for showing that. And that mm -hmm. concludes today's show. We hope everybody has a great we take the we take a month off after each episode, especially end of year holidays and everything. Hope everybody has a great December and we will be back with you in January. Excited for a new year and new exciting things coming and we will showcase them all on Built on Air. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. for joining today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out our sponsor on and we will see you next time on the Built on Air podcast. <laughs>